Alright, let's go ahead and get started. Did the bell ring yet? Yes. Yeah. Did? Okay. 20 minutes ago. Don't <laughs> no, so, no scare me like that. Alright. Go in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, please. Matthew 7, last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. Lesson 17 and 18. We have a... Uh, couple of classes to try to knock this out of belief to we got today. <coughs> Some of you are on Wednesday gonna have to start getting ready for the next quarter, so you're gonna have to leave here to go start working on re review. So you can watch that online. Uh, the last class for those of you who won't be able to be in here. Uh, but uh, I do appreciate I've asked to speak for Rick as well for it being such a uh, uh, just a good class as far as your attitude and how well you have uh, participate and receive these things and it is God number one and then you number two that I believe has has made for this to be a good class and the teaching could have been a little bit a little bit better but uh, we we certainly appreciate y'all being patient with us we really really do uh, we need to have a prayer right now Mike could you would you mind leading us in a prayer please sir Father in heaven we do thank you for this day and we do thank you for all the blessings that you give to each one of us Father, we know that we are part of your creatures and that we just strive here on earth to do your will. Be with Sean today as he directs this class. Be with us, for Father, for the things that we've studied, that we might all grow together, be more like Christ, be more like servants in your kingdom. Father, be with us as we go through our lives and help us strive to, for that goal in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. So in the first six verses of this chapter, of let's transition out of that, Sean. Okay, Matthew. In the first six verses of Matthew, of Matthew chapter 7, we consider the Lord's teaching about judgment. A couple of things there. We saw that according to Jesus, uh, one of the requirements of being a disciple is to avoid hypocritical judging. We spent a lengthy amount of time talking about how Jesus condemns <coughs> hypocritical judging. He also warns us against wasting our time to force rebellious people to believe and accept the gospel. In verses 7 through 12, which we started talking about last uh, Wednesday, Jesus talked about how one of the great tools we have in our spiritual toolbox that can help us make wise judgments is prayer. We talked about prayer. Through prayer, Jesus says, we can do three things. He uses three metaphors. What are they? Ask, seek, knock. Metaphor is for prayer. Through prayer, we can ask God for gifts, Jesus said. We can ask Him for gifts in our lives. Now, remember we pointed out how these verses are not suggesting that prayer should be treated like some kind of blank check where God just said, ask whatever you want and I'm going to give it to you. That's not what this is about. Instead, these verses are really trying to get us to, to understand that when we pray, we never need to be afraid to ask God for gifts. We never need to be afraid to bring requests to God. Don't be afraid to do that, but when you do that, make sure you trust God. Trust God. <coughs> trust specifically, Jesus said, that God is good. He's a good God. He's a good Heavenly Father who will always answer our request. 
in our best interest. He will give us what we need when we need it. He knows. He knows us better than we know ourselves, right? He knows the future. He knows what is best for us. And He will not always give us what we want, but He will always give us what is best for us. Now, praying with that kind of mindset, we pointed out, will help us avoid being bitter with God whenever we don't get, you know, something we, we ask for. And we need that. <coughs> we need that. It'll, it'll help us when we, when we apply this teaching. It'll help us avoid thinking God is mean and cruel and that He's holding out on us when we don't get what we want. It will help us use prayer as a tool to demonstrate dependence, not just on God, but dependence in the goodness of God. Through prayer, we need to always remember that we're praying to a good God. A God who loves us, who cares about us, and who will always give us what is best. Not always what we want, because we don't always know what's best for us, do we? Now, verse 12. As far as verse 12 goes, verse 12 is a... One of the most well-known verses in the Bible, and even though it's well-known, maybe it's not applied often in the way it should be. This verse is not just about, you know, being nice to people because you want them to be nice to you. Although that's part of it. But more than anything else, I think what the Lord is trying to get us to understand as He wraps up this great sermon is following Him is about doing. Okay? It's about doing something. We talk about Nehemiah being a doer. Well, that's what Christianity is all about. Being a doer. Actively seeking to do good in other people's lives. We, we, we pointed out a couple of places where Jesus already emphasized this. Luke chapter 10 and verse 37. The parable of the Good Samaritan. The parable of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan was the only person who's, who was willing to help that Jewish man who had been beaten and robbed and left to die. And the application of that sermon, Jesus said, is go and do likewise. Go and be like him. Do something good for somebody. Matthew 25, remember the judgment day scene. Verses 31 through 46. What is the main thing under consideration when all these, these people stand before Jesus and he's separating them like shepherd, like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats? Well, in that, in that scene, that picture of the judgment day, the main thing the master is doing is he's judging people based on their good works towards other people. I mean, that's what's going on there. Did you visit people? Did you help somebody? Did you give food to a poor person? And give water to somebody who was thirsty? That, that is what's going on there in that text. So again, it's about doing. And let's look at some other scriptures here that I think can help us with this, just to drive this point home. 1 Timothy chapter 6. These are just some other scriptures for you to jot down here in your notes if you want to do that. 1 Timothy chapter 6, when he talks about people who are wealthy, and that would include all of us. Because the poorest person in this room is richer than two-thirds of people in the world right now. It's just truth. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, verse 17, instruct those who are rich in this present world. That's Americans. Okay? Particularly us. People like us. Not to be conceited or fix their hope of the uncertainty of riches. And we're seeing that, especially this year in our country, with inflation just killing us. Uncertainty of riches but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy, instruct the people who are wealthy in this life to what? Do good. To be rich in good works. 
to be generous and ready to share. If you do that, you will store up for yourselves, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Isn't that what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Store treasures in heaven. That's what, that's what Paul's talking about there. One of the ways we do that is using our blessings to bless other people, to do good. Look at the next uh, couple of books over, Titus. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8. And Titus chapter 3 and verse number 8, Paul says here, this is a trustworthy statement, Titus 3, 8. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed in God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. One more place. Go to the book of James with me. James chapter 1. You remember how in James 2, James talks about faith without works is what? It's dead. Okay? It's dead. And But before you get to James chapter 2, he says something interesting in verse 27. James uh, chapter 1 and verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. What you find here in the first part of this verse may be one of the most neglected parts of the New Testament for Christians. Visiting orphans, looking after the orphans and the widows. What do those two groups of people have in common? What do you think? What do those two groups of people have in common, the orphan and the widow? They're, they're destitute. There's no one to care for them, really. And, and, and the Bible says that if we want to please God in our religion, then it starts there, looking after the less fortunate. And, and so it's about doing good. Do you see that? Doing good. Brother Don, go ahead, sir. That word visit in there is, is an emphatic to go and see, go investigate. Yes. Find out what needs to be done and do it. Yes. That's exactly right, Don. That's a great point. So being a disciple is about doing. It's about doing. It's about showing grace, mercy, love to other people. The religious leaders at the time of Jesus, they, they were not doing that. They were getting on to Jesus for trying to show mercy to people on the Sabbath. When he healed somebody on the Sabbath, they were criticizing him. Oh, you can do that on other days. They're not being pricked by the miracle. They're criticizing him because he's helping people on the Sabbath. And yet Jesus pointed out the hypocrisy because when it came to an animal on the Sabbath, that was in a ditch. What would they do? They show that they show the animal mercy and do good to the animal, but not to their fellow brothers and sisters. And so, go back to Matthew seven as we start a new section here. Matthew seven. We look at starting with verse thirteen. Verse thirteen. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you as sheep clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles are they. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does, not, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. 
Many will say to thee on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now let's just stop right there. I want to just kind of cover this section right here. This section, and I pointed this out last time, contains what I believe we could say to be the invitation. <laughs> you know, we, we do invitations as a tradition in the Lord's church today. Well, I, I think here you got an invitation. This, this is the invitation part of the sermon. He's inviting people to do something now. After preaching this powerful lesson about righteousness and discipleship, Jesus offers, offers a choice. You've got to make a choice. Isn't that what preachers do at the end of the sermons? What are you going to do with this information? That's what Jesus is doing here. You're going to have to choose, Jesus says. What are you going to do about this sermon? And, and isn't that the way, when you start to think about the Bible as a whole, and the idea of people making choices, isn't that the way it is in the Bible all throughout? God says, man, make a choice. Now, could God have made us program robots if he wanted to? Mm -hmm. Of course he could, but that's not how God set it up, is it? God made us special. God made us in his image. God made us with the ability to make a choice. God says you can choose to love me or reject me. Adam and Eve, it starts right away, doesn't it? You know the reason why that tree is even there in the garden in the first place? The very reason why that forbidden tree is there is so that Adam and Eve could exercise their ability to choose. Without that tree there, they don't have really that ability. But with that tree being there, they can choose to either, either listen to what God said about staying away from it, or to listen to Satan and, and eat from it. That tree was all about them being able to make a choice. Joshua, he told the children of Israel, if you remember, Joshua 24, 15, you know that verse. <coughs> choose now this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we are going to choose to serve the Lord. Joshua knew this was a choice. Psalm 1, you remember the first psalm in the Old Testament. That's all about choice there. He talks about you got to choose how you walk. You're going to walk like the wise man or you're going to walk like the foolish man. That's Psalm 1. And then Acts 2. Remember Acts 2, we, we usually you know make a big deal about how, how many people got baptized in Acts 2? How many? 3,000. That's a lot. It, would, it, would it be something if we saw 3,000 people get baptized today? Wouldn't it be something if we saw three people get baptized today? That's a lot of people. But compared to the number of people who heard that sermon, what do you, where do you think that, that 3,000 falls in line with? It's probably a very small percentage. Less than 1%. Probably less than 1%, right, Don? So the truth is, even though 3,000 people obeyed, a whole lot more people rejected that preaching that day. It's all about choices. What choice you going to make? Now there are three ways, there are three things that Jesus uses to emphasize this in this text, okay? So we want to watch for this in the last part of the sermon. This is about choices. You've got to choose your path. 13 and 14 is about choosing your path. This is for all of us. This is our application. Choose your path, verses 13 and 14. Choose who you're going to listen to. Verses 15 through 20. Choose how you're going to evaluate yourself. Verses 21 through 23. Choose upon whom you're going to build your foundation in life. Verses 24 through 29. This, this last part offers choices. 
Choose your path. Choose who you're going to listen to. Choose how you're going to evaluate yourself. And whose standard you're going to evaluate yourself by. And choose your foundation that you're going to build upon. So let's start with the first one. The path. Choose your path. There are two paths before us. And we get to choose which one we take. The first path is the broad path. It's the, it's the big path. The path that leads to where? Destruction. Spiritual destruction. Now how many people did Jesus say take this path? How many people take the path to destruction according to Jesus? Many. Let's talk about that. I want to hear from you on this one now. I want a little participation. Why is that the case? Why do you think? Because I think it's pretty obvious that's the way it is today, right? I mean... We may have 180 people here. That's nothing compared to the number of people sleeping in their beds today and trying to catch up on their rest so they can be well rested for work tomorrow in the city of Phoenix. So why, why is it that most people choose the path of destruction? What do y'all think about that? Path of least resistance. Path of least resistance. Can you explain that? Can you expound on that more, Ryan, please? Um, I'll try. <clears throat> So I like, I like it's a great answer. I want to just want to. So if, if it's, it, to me it's like going back to your choices. If if I go to a restaurant and I choose a hamburger because it's familiar, I know what it's going to taste like, or I can choose something that's not familiar, but maybe it tastes better. Mm. How am I ever going to know if I don't make that choice? So they don't want to rock the boat of their lives. Right. So I mean, which that second choice might be better and sweeter in the end. Right. As opposed to familiarity. That's a great, great, great response, right, Brother Don, yes, sir. And then I'll get you next, ma'am. The Hebrew writer says it's unbelief. Unbelief. They didn't enter in because of unbelief. Yes. And our entry or not entry into our reward is based upon our belief. You know, and, and you can say that's because of ignorance. We didn't know. Well, it doesn't count. Or we understood and rejected it. But it boils down to the fact that we refused to do what the Bible says. And if you get in a crowd of people, pick up your feet, and they're going to carry you. That's the easy route. So I, I, I like that because that shows us that belief is even a choice. It is a choice. I can believe it or I can reject it. Very good. Yes, ma'am. Um, I think also because people don't want to face darkness or evil inside of them, they don't want to admit that they've done wrong or face the consequences of their evil doing. Mm -hmm. What a great, what a, that's a great response. The, that, that takes humility to do that. And most people don't have humility. They're full of pride. I'm a good person. I'm a good person by my standard. And I don't need a God or a Bible to tell me that I'm doing things wrong. Especially Americans are like this. We don't like anybody telling us what to do. We don't want nobody telling us to put masks on, we have to get, get a vaccine. It's even, that's, it's even, that even filters into spirituality, that mindset. That I am free and I can put my own standard into place and do things my way and be just fine. Wonderful answer. Yes, Tony. Uh, I would say acceptance. In other words, unfortunately, we're living in a society today where obeying the gospel and is frowned upon yes. instead, of, uh, instead of admired. Especially today, right, Tony? Yes. Especially today. I mean, I mean it's always been bad, but man. That heat is turning up more and more against us every day. Well, I think 
I think 30 years ago it was more admired. I'm just saying today it's have following the Gospels very heavily frowned upon. You know, I put, I put on, oh, yes, Mike, go ahead, sir. Just one other comment. Yes, please. It's, it's Satan behind all of this. <laughs> I'm glad somebody called out Satan. He's yes. Not, well, he's actually convinced the world that there is a God, but you don't have to do what God says. God is out there, and you can believe in God, and you can go about your way because there is a God, but you don't have to do what he says. Yes. You just have to believe that he's there. Yes. Therefore, we have the evangelist on TV says, say this prayer, yep. send me money, and you're blessed. You're good. <clears throat> you're just fine. Just sit there in your chair. What did Jesus call Satan? The father oh, of lies. And we see it all the time. Yep. <coughs> he uses different people. That brings us to this next part about the false teachers okay. to believe lies. Yes, Rick, go ahead, sir. I was going to say, people just resent being faced with the necessity of making a choice. But I think what Jesus teaches here is even if you don't think you're making a choice, you're making a choice. Rick, let's, di let's dive into that comment real quick because I want to launch that into this next part. I could kind of infer that because I, I really think he's laid it out beautifully there in verses uh, 13 14. Two ways. There's a hard way and there's an easy way. There's no middle way. There are two gates, a broad and a narrow. There are no other gates. It's trodden by two different kinds of crowds. A small crowd and a large crowd. There's no neutral group. And it ends in two destinations, destruction and life. There's no third alternative. So what if I say, I don't believe in God, so I don't have to choose which path. Well, by that, what have I done? You just chose. I chose the path. Whether I believe in the past or not. Right? So let's dive into this a little bit more. So I got it. I don't want my our class is going to line go away from us before we know it. So I got I got to get this in. I think to kind of sum up what y'all are saying, because y'all gave great answers, wonderful answers. So let let me see if I can kind of repeat some of that and maybe add a couple other things. One path, this broad path, is clearly the easier path. It's the easier path. Is it harder to choose to live a life of discipline or to choose to live a life doing whatever you want? Let's be honest about it. Being a Christian is not easy. If anybody's going to say being a Christian is easy, then you need to go back and read Jesus' teaching because Jesus never said it was going to be easy. Jesus said it's hard. Denying yourself, taking up your cross, that don't sound easy to me. That's hard. So let's, let's stop playing games and acknowledge that. This broad path is the easy path. This broad path is the convenient path. It's a convenient path. It's a path of tolerance. I'm going to tolerate anything. Homosexuality, this gender identity crisis stuff, drugs, drinking, clubbing. I accept it all. It's all good. That's tolerance. Do we tolerate all that stuff? And that's why we're hated. This path is a path of tolerance. It's a path of, like Tony said, acceptance. <laughs> you accept it by the world when you take the broad path. You're being accepted by the vast majority of people. This is a path where you can live however you want and do whatever you want to do. This is the broad path. And this is the path that most people are on. They're on the easy <laughs> path, the convenient <laughs> path, the tolerant path, the acceptance path. The path where you live your life your way 
doing, it, doing things your way. But this second path is different. While the first path is broad, the second one is what? It's narrow. The first one leads to destruction. The second one leads to life. Spiritual life. And Jesus said that when it came to that path, only a few people are going to find that path. Now, let's, let's talk about that now. We just, we just gave a list of why more people take the broad path. Now tell me, why do so few people take the narrow path? Why is there only a few? If it's life at the end of it, this great blessing like Ryan said, where it's all good, it's the best thing I could have when I try it. So why don't more people try it? Why don't more people not want to get the life? I should want to live. I don't want to die. So why don't more people go for that? Yes. I think, like, for me, I think, like, I, eternity is a really difficult thing to comprehend, right? And, like, kind of going back to the whole hamburger thing, like, that you know this life, you don't, even though you can know it, like, through the Bible, you don't know what You haven't experienced it, yeah. yes. Yeah. So yes. So, so we're, so... It's easy to get caught up in what I see, what I what I what I can feel, what I can experience right now, and this other thing just seems so far away. I really don't, I don't, you know, I don't know what it feels like, what it looks like, and maybe I can just worry about, you know, doing my thing now. When I hit seventy or eighty on my deathbed, towards the end, I'll go ahead and start getting ready for that. Then I think that's how a lot of people live. I think that's how a lot of Christians live. Watch story about eighties. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Andy. Then Tony after that. Uh, I think. People have just think they have too much to lose, and you, you can look at the young rich ruler that had done everything um, according to the law, and Jesus said, "Wait, you have to do this," and it was the only thing he wasn't willing to do because to follow Christ it will cost us everything, but he wasn't willing to give up everything. The Bible said, you know, he comes and he's like, "Hey, I've done all this stuff. I want, I want to. What do I do to get into eternal life?" Which is a great question. But when he found out the answer, he wasn't willing to make the sacrifice. So guess what path he was on at that moment? That broad path. Because he didn't want to make the sacrifice. That's good. Tony, yes sir. I think it goes back to not wanting to be told what to do. Because if you choose to obey the gospel and take that narrow path, you're being told what to do by God. <laughs> so again, you know, even though you're not being told what to do by another human or, or a government, you're still being told what to do. Tony, you on fire today for once. No. <laughs> You're doing good, Tony. You know, and we talked on the phone some this week. I need to start calling you more this week. That's, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Yes, sir, Dave. People don't really believe in negative consequences. Yes. They know they're out there, but they don't really embrace it. They don't really believe it. When was the last time you've been to a funeral and you heard the guy giving the funeral talk about hell? Everybody goes to heaven. I mean, I was at one not long ago, and the person had been in the church building for years, and the guy was talking about how that person's floating up to heaven right He's now. He's a good person. That's the way society looks at consequences. Uh, that's why Jesus is good, accepts everybody, and loves everybody. That's such a great, that's a wonderful answer. Yeah, just, yes, uh, yes, ma'am, right here. Y'all give <coughs> great, great comments. Yes. I think because following the narrow path, caused, you have to have discipline, and people don't want to get the discipline. And I think also that's why a lot of people hate or dislike Christians, because our very existence calls out their lack of discipline. So The light exposes the darkness, and they view us as too rigid. 
How many times have we heard that you're too rigid in how you think, how you live? Man, I can't, I can't live like that. Janicia and then Dawn after that, and then I'll get you next, Joan. I don't think that um, people stop to consider the seriousness of their life, to question themselves. When you look at the Gospels, Jesus always, he used questioning. So I think it has a lot to do with, like Rick was saying, we end up on the wrong path because we're not <laughs> stopping to ask, why am I here? Who should I serve? What is the Bible? Yes. And, and let it be the God. Absolutely. Man, that's, that's good, good responses, everybody. Hey, done. Yes, sir. When you look at discipline, a case in point is manna. Why did God give manna to the people? We teach our kids, well, that was to feed the people mm -hmm. going through the wilderness. But what God told Moses was, I gave them manna and a set of instructions to see if they would follow my instructions. And they did. And they failed. <laughs> you know, they could gather. Uh, was I told it, them exactly They could gather work. on six days. Yeah. And on the sixth day, get a double portion because on the Sabbath. You ain't no gather. And, and if you try to hoard some, it's going to turn into worms. Yes. And how many of them totally... Fail God on those instructions. Lack of discipline. And then wound up hating. Yes. Yes. You know, and that's the way we are with, with God's instructions to us today. The majority of the people, I don't want to do that. Right. One more comment real quick, Joan. Yes, ma'am. I actually had um, someone who was a Christian tell me that the Christians are too narrow-minded. And I, and, and I wish I had thought to say back, Yes, but that's because we're on the narrow yes, road. Yes, yes, yes. I didn't that's see it. that. <coughs> that's why. I wish I had. You can't, you can't be, you can't be loosey goosey and broad in your thinking. Be on the narrow path. Narrow thinking gets you on the narrow path. And when we say narrow think, we're talking about strictly God's way. So let, so here's the go with y'all's comments. And man, y'all were just outstanding on that. Just wonderful. I put on mind some things I was thinking about. Was it kind of goes with what Tony was saying. This narrow path is a path of submission. I gotta do it God's way, not my way. Man, people don't want to do that. They, that's one of the reasons I believe a lot of people are atheists. Not because there's no evidence for the existence of God, is because they don't like the implications of the evidence. If I acknowledge that God is real, I also acknowledge that He has authority over me, and I can't live my life any way I want to, and I suffer consequences. I think that's really what it boils down to, whether those people acknowledge it or not. This path is also, this narrow path also will lead you to being rejected by the world. And, and maybe that's why a lot of people don't want to go on it. Because this path we're on, we're not going to have a lot of friends. I don't have a lot of friends that will be friends. But you're not going to have a lot of friends with the world. The Bible says you can't be friends with the world and be a friend of God. So you're going to get rejected. Jesus promised that. And this narrow path maybe is rejected so much because it requires commitment. Commitment. People don't want to be committed to anything, especially God. And, it, and not just commitment, but application of Jesus' teaching. You know, we're going to be on the narrow path. It's not enough just to know it and read it and like it. we got to do it. That's the only way. You, that's really what gets you on the narrow path at the end of the day. You want to make it simple? You want to make it not rocket science? Are you going to do what Jesus says or not? If you do what he says, you're on the narrow path. It's that simple. That's really what it's about. So don't miss the point of these verses, my dear friends. These verses are not about an actual head count. Okay, so you're going to have uh, 200,000 people in heaven compared to so many trillion people in hell. It's not about a head count. It's not about a head count. It's not about 
suggesting that God doesn't want all people to be saved. Just because Jesus says more people are going to be lost and saved doesn't mean that's what God wants. God doesn't want that. The Bible says God desires all men to come to repentance. God doesn't want this. This is a reality because of our choices. Do you get that? It's our choices. Unfortunately, most people are on the broad path because most people reject God. Most people reject God's love. They reject God's will. They reject God's ways. They reject, you ready for this? Life. Jesus says if you go on this narrow path, you get life. Most people reject life. Spiritual life. They don't want it. And, when, and sadly, on the judgment day, they're going to realize that's the worst mistake they've ever made in their lives because it has eternal consequences. Jehovah's Witness. Yes. I don't want to go to heaven. I want the new earth. So, yes. There's a whole other thing right that's, there. That, that's, yeah. But this is, and, and, and we're talking about our world right now, but let's not get it twisted. This is the way it is in all the Bible. Go back to Noah. You know, so if you ever sit around your house and you're thinking to yourself, oh, this world is the worst it's ever been. Noah, if he, if he could sit next to you, he probably would slap you. <laughs> and say, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> there are 180 people going to be sitting in this auditorium today loving God and worshiping God. Noah only had eight people gone to ark with him. Are you kidding me? Do we really think this is the worst it's ever been? That's, stop throwing this pity party and acting like we... You know, we're, we got it so bad. We do, but Noah's like, Get, come on, man. Only had eight people get on the ark with him. <laughs> Sodom and Gomorrah. How many people came out of there and got saved out alive? Three. The Jews in the days of Jesus. The vast majority of them rejected Jesus. The source of life. And then we talked about today and how today is. So we got that broad path. Yes, yes, sir, Mike. What about the Jews when they came out of Egypt? They, they had all everything to believe in God and couldn't believe in God and do anything. And when Moses was on the mountain, what are they doing? Yeah, it's sinning, right? I mean, right out of the right out of the gate. So, I mean, they had people say, "Well, show me God, and I'll believe." That's what Jesus said. Huh? You've got it in front of you. You've had it. No, that's exactly right. When when people are determined to reject God, nothing God does or nothing we do is going to convince them. Convince them. Huh? When you choose to be on that broad path. That's your choice, and it's going to take a humble heart to get off of it. So I want to say something about this last section real quick. I want to say something about the next part, about choosing who you listen to. So just give me a couple minutes to say something about that real fast, and I'll give you the last minute to make a comment or two. Jesus in verses 15 through 20, this is all I'm going to say about this. This is a pretty easy text here. He said, who are you going to listen to? Because you got to choose your path, you got to choose who your teachers are going to be. Because your teachers can have influence you on your path. Are you going to listen to the false teachers? Or are you going to listen to the teachers of truth? The people of Israel. Now you, you, you pointed out the people of Israel in the Old Testament. You know one of the things that got them on the wrong path usually was their teachers. It was the leaders among them. That's what's wrong with the Jews at the time of Jesus. That's why he preached this sermon. Because they had heard it was said. Just look, just look at your lesson today about what Nehemiah. Yes. Oh. Yeah. The, uh, don't tell me religious teachers don't have a huge influence on you and your life. <clears throat> They do. People are were led astray by false teachers all throughout Israel's history. And guess what's going on today? People being led astray by the same thing. The largest church in the country, from my understanding, is still Joel Osteen's church in Houston, Texas. And you know what he tells you to do to be saved? Say a prayer. His, he has 
40, 50,000 people fill up the old Rockets, Houston Rockets Stadium every Sunday. And you know what he's preaching to them? It's nice, you're nice, it's nice to be nice. And you're nice, I'm nice, we're all nice, God is nice, it's nice to be nice. It's feel-good religion. Never talking about sin. Never going to the Bible. And the people fill that place up, that's what they want to hear. Because it's easy. It's easy. It's the easy path. <laughs> There's nothing challenging about that at all. Ears tickled. So we need to make sure we listen to the right kinds of teachers. The Bible in the New Testament alone, here's an interesting fact here. This warning Jesus gives here is found in the New Testament 40 times alone. 40 times this warning. At least 40 times. The New Testament writers give this warning. Watch who you listen to. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we carefully watch who we listen to and choose wisely our teachers? Well, you examine their fruits. You examine their fruits. Fruits can reference, number one, the teaching. Real quick, I want to show you something in Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew, the 12th chapter, and in verse 33, in verse 33 of Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, Matthew 12, 33, either make the tree good, he's using that same example here, and its fruit good, or make the tree bad, and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. In this context, he's talking about teaching when he talks about trees and the teachers. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. He's talking about teachers in that context. You can judge whether a man is a teacher of truth or not by his fruit, by what he teaches, but not just by what he teaches, also by what he does. His example. Does he, does he live right? Both of those things are your fruit, your teaching and your behavior. Jesus says that false teachers can easily be recognized by their fruit. Now, God's going to eventually throw them into the fire. Jesus said back in Matthew 7, He's going to throw them into the fire. The question is, are we going to go into the fire with them? <clears throat> He's talking about religious teachers. And so when it comes to me, when it comes to me, judge me by my fruit. Don't just say, all oh, the elders hire Sean, I just know he's a teacher of truth. No, always judge me by my fruit. My fruit is what am I teaching? Does it line up with this? If it lines up with this, if you can see it's coming from the book, then I'm, I'm giving you good fruit. And if I'm living it, I'm giving you good fruit. But if I'm not teaching this, then I'm giving you bad fruit. If I'm not living this, I'm giving you bad fruit. That, that applies to me, Roger Shouse. Don Truex, D. Bowman, when he, when he was alive, I don't care what preacher you talk about, judge them by their fruit. Not by how much you like their personality, how, how eloquent they may be. What are they giving you from the book? That's how you choose your teachers, based on fruit. Jesus says you can recognize a teacher. And, and going back to our previous lesson, that's judgment there, by the way. <laughs> that's judging people. Judging people by fruit. So, real quick, just the last minute here. Anybody got something you want to say as we close this out here? Two paths, two different groups of teachers. we got two more sections we want to cover here. And Lord willing, we'll do that Wednesday. For those of you who got to go teach starting Wednesday, thank you for being in the class. I love you so 